have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, some people think that financial disclosure is how citizens keep track of their politicians and special interests. But what if it's the opposite? The disclosure, uh, the disclosures are a way for politicians and special interests to keep track of citizens. And this isn't some hypothetical situation. Some political interests have used donor disclosure rules to intimidate and attack their opposition. Heather Lauer is the executive director of People United for Privacy and advocates for donor confidentiality laws. Uh, they recently helped to get a law passed in Virginia to prohibit public agencies from requesting or disclosing private donor information. Heather, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why do you think a politically engaged nonprofit should have their donor information confidential? This is a great question, and it's one that we've been asking and answering since the founding of our country. Our country was founded on the principle of being able to have anonymous speech um, and, of course, free speech. These rights are enshrined in our First Amendment, and they are rights that are just as important today as we're debating critical issues facing our country as they were when the founding fathers were forming the country. And so it is, um, for some of the reasons you've mentioned, to prevent retaliation, to prevent people being targeted from being, from preventing um, donors being targeted and weaponized as a tool to oppose ideas that um, politicians want to advance. It's just so critical to every issue that both sides of the aisle um, are discussing in public policy debate um, for ensuring that the focus stays on the ideas and not on the individuals who are behind those ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me a little bit more about why I think anonymous speech is important, because I think that kind of cuts to the heart of this issue. It does. Um, it's the ability to talk about the ideas. It's about let's focus on the issues and what we're debating and not on whether or not we like the person who's pushing those ideas or whether or not that person might have a reputation that we or a political position or whatever that bothers us or that we disagree with. Um, it allows us to just in a very pure way focus on public policy debate and on the actual ideas that um, are being presented and being discussed. And so it just takes off the table any other personality issues or um, personality differences, things we might not like about people. It, it allows us to just focus the debate on public policy. Shouldn't people be proud of the organizations they support and want to be associated with them? Of course, and some people are, and some people do want their names out there as being supporters of an organization, whether that's including themselves on a list on a website of supporters or in an annual report or putting their name on a building. Some people are very comfortable with that, and that's fine. What we're advocating is that people should have the right to decide whether or not they want to be public about their donations versus forcing people to be 
public about their donations. And we've seen examples across the country of this isn't, you know, I think sometimes people believe this is an issue about major donors like the Koch brothers and George Soros and others. And this is really about everyday Americans. I mean, we have countless, unfortunately, we have countless examples of 10, 50, $100 donors who have given to a cause, had their name exposed, and then they've been targeted, which can result in job loss, um, you know, issues with family members and friends having falling out. Like it's, it can be, um, it becomes a really personal issue for people very quickly. But the point is that we feel like people should have the ability to choose whether or not they put themselves out in that public way versus the government telling them that they have to be public about their support. Wait, really? People are getting uh, harassed over $10 donations to some organization? Is that a thing that happens? It is. And it's a thing that's happened as recently as this year. Um, There was the, you know, the Canadian trucker convoy um, that was in the news earlier this year and had raised a lot of money. Americans had donated to that cause in addition to the Canadians. The database was illegally hacked. That information was released. The Washington Post was giddy about that and was like, well, here's an opportunity to expose some people who are supporting something we maybe politically disagree with. And they started calling and emailing people who had showed up on that list, small dollar donors, demanding that they explain why they were supporting that cause and um, forcing, trying to force those people to go on record. And those were small dollar donors. I mean, there were larger donors who were swept up in that as well. But that's just one example of a re- recently of small donor dollar donors being targeted targeted. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so that's an example of uh, people on the right being harassed. But I don't think that you care about this just because you think people on the right are being harassed. What are some examples of some left wing people who have been uh, attacked over there? Um, we don't have quite as many examples of that. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. this issue does disproportionately target conservatives. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we feel like we when we go out and advocate for donor privacy, we approach it as a bipartisan issue. We feel like this is something that should, every American should be in favor of. We should agree to the right, agree to have the right to disagree and to have debate regardless of what our beliefs are. And um, we never look at this as a left versus right issue. We build bipartisan coalitions when we're out pushing our model legislation and advocating for donor privacy. But most of the examples of um, people who have been targeted, um, especially for nonprofit donations, are definitely on the right. We've seen examples of donors on the left being targeted for political candidate conversa- um, contributions. And um, there are kind of more examples about that out there than there are of nonprofit donors being exposed, just because in a lot of cases, nonprofit donors are kept private. So it's harder to come across those lists and um there seems to be a bit more motivation to go after conservative groups and go and to find out who their donors are. That's interesting. I mean, why do you think that people on the left are more interested in harassing their opposition than people on the right? That's a really excellent question. I think um, there are a few things, one of which is, you know, the left controls a lot of the media outlets and they control the narrative around a lot of, and the debate around a lot of issues that happen um, you know, when we're debating public issues. And so it's, um, they have a little more incentive, I think, to have those lists and to have those names and to be able to target people in a public way through the channels they have. Um, whether it's, like I said, through media activities or boycotting businesses or whatever, um, the issues, I guess they're focusing on maybe lend 
to um, that sort of tactic helping their cause, I think more than maybe conservatives. And I, I think conservatives, you know, maybe not all conservatives, we certainly have problems with re Republicans who are in favor of donor disclosure as well. But for the most part, conservatives, I think, have had a long held belief that, you know, even if we disagree on these things, we should have that right to disagree. And so I think that's kind of a key difference between the two sides. Mm -hmm. Doesn't your policy make politics less transparent? <laughs> well, our what we like to say is that transparency is for government and privacy is for people. And, you know, I guess you could make the argument that that maybe that should cross over into political contributions as well to candidates. And that's a debate for another time. Um, but the, the argument behind that is that when you're giving to directly to a political candidate, you theoretically might be able to influence how they vote once they're elected. That is not the same for nonprofit donors. When you donate to a nonprofit that may then go out and advocate on some issues that may, you know, align with certain policymakers, that is not the direct line of influence that exists, um, when you're giving to a political candidate. So this is not a transparency as it relates to preventing government corruption issue. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. I mean, we feel like transparency and nonprofit donors opens up the potential for even more corruption and for political, um, for politicians to be able to target donors to silence them and to advance the ideas they want to advance without any opposition. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I really like the I, just the concept that like privacy is for is for citizens, uh, transparency is for government. But can you dig in on why you think that's a good principle to have? Because I mean, people are accountable for their views to their peers. Like if someone has odious and obnoxious views, like there are social punishments for that. Uh, there are some consequences. So why do you think that? that this distinction between privacy for people and, and transparency for government is important. There's a difference between that debate and peer pressure or, you know, that public discourse happening amongst citizens versus citizens versus politicians. And so um, if we choose to have those debates with each other and to work through these ideas in the public square and to um, figure out as Americans what, policies are important to us and what ideas we want to advance. That's one thing. It is quite another thing to give politicians the power to target people who disagree with them and enact policies that will shut down debate by intimidating people into thinking that if you give to a cause that a politician disagrees with, your name is going to be exposed and you're going to be, you know, covered in a media story, your employer is going to find out and maybe fire you because they disagree with your positions. I mean, it's a very different thing for politicians to have that information and to be used to use it as a tool to have more power versus those of us in um, just everyday Americans wanting to discuss issues with each other and deciding if and when we want to be public about what our beliefs are. Mm -hmm. How has the politics around this issue changed over time? It because <laughs> it, it seems like I mean there are there are some donor disclosure rules that are out there. Um, uh, there are, um, uh, but there's been a lot more interest in going after nonprofits who support your opposition these days than before. Like, why is that? 
It's an issue that certainly has ramped up around or since the Citizens United decision over a decade ago. I mean, that's when the term dark money kind of first came to an existence. And, um, you know, that just kind of this issue of nonprofit donor disclosure kind of became the next frontier in that Citizens United debate about who should be able to spend money on things that are politically related and how much they should be exposed for that. So it has certainly ramped up over the last decade. It's intensified in the last few years, just as our, I think we all agree that political discourse in this country is intensified in the last few years. And this has been swept up in that. Um, it's, it's both a federal issue and a state issue at the federal level. Um, there have been bills introduced mostly by Democrat members of Congress over the last several years that would address um, that would enact donor disclosure. One of them is the Disclose Act. One of them is the Honest Ads Act. There are a couple others. Sheldon Whitehouse is a champion of this issue and has been pushing it for a while now. Um, these are bills that have been floating out there for a few years, and they all got combined into H.R. 1. Um, a couple of years ago. And so they were swept up into more of a national debate. And, you know, even though I think the election reform side of that bill got a bit more media attention, the disclosure side of the bill was, it, it was just as much, a, it was half of the bill. It was half of the bill was dedicated to donor disclosure. It was just as a big of a part of it as the election reform part of it. And so because it was kind of elevated through that debate, it's just gotten more attention at the national level than maybe this issue has gotten in the past. At the state level, we see donor disclosure bills introduced typically, and we'll probably see a lot of them um, at the beginning of the next legislative session, because we often see them in response to an election. <laughs> Some legislator will be upset that someone sent a mailer in his district um, accusing him of things that he you know, isn't happy about and Donor disclosure bills in the states are frequently introduced as just retaliation for that. It's nothing more. It's not a principled thing. It's a very, it's just, you know, somebody's upset and that's where the bill comes from. And so as these ideas have kind of floated around and people have seen disclosure as a solution or a perceived solution to these problems, you're just, it's why we've seen more and more of this in the states and at the federal levels over the year, at the federal level over the years. Yeah, the the idea of success for um, uh, for the uh, for the people supporting these disclosure laws seems awful because it's like, all right, if we're successful, it means that more people are going to be harassed over uh, whatever donations they make to whatever polit or whatever opposition group we don't like. I don't see their idea of like, look, we're just going to be really transparent. We're going to know who our politicians are loyal to. Citizens are going are, are going to be better informed about about their politics. Like that seems unlikely. But this other instance where everything is political and we're going to um, going to go after your employment or um, or, or whatever, uh, that seems much more likely. There is no legitimate answer to the question of what are you going to do with this list once you had it? No one can give a good answer to that question that isn't just frightening. And the fact is that their goal, this, the goal of pro-disclosure, of the pro-disclosure pro politicians is they want to shut down debate. They have said this. Chuck Schumer has actually said that the, this, that is not a flaw of this sort of legislation. That is what it's designed to do. And so... Um, Wait, where it, did he say that? Oh, it's sometime in the last year or so. But <laughs> okay. I mean, this is um, 
this is what they're trying to accomplish. They're not secretive about it. They want to know who the other side is so that they can shut down debate about that, it, that, they, that they disagree with and silence people who they disagree with. You recently had, as, as we mentioned, you recently had a victory in Virginia. Uh, why did lawmakers there choose to listen to your recommendations? When we sit down, so Virginia is actually the 12th, one of 12 states where we've gotten the Personal Privacy Protection Act signed into law and we're close to the finish line in two more states this session. Um, and most of our efforts in the states have been done in an incredibly bipartisan way. And Virginia is an example of that. When you sit down and just explain this issue in very basic terms and what it means for the First Amendment and that, you know, as much as it might feel good to know who the donors are to causes you agree with and to, you know, just knowing is sometimes, you know, all people want, that doesn't accomplish anything. There isn't a legitimate reason why you need that information. And um, this is the bill that we're advancing is doesn't necessarily get rid of or um, cancel out any campaign finance related disclosure laws that are already on the books in a state. What it does, and this is what the Virginia bill did, is that it codifies what was in the Supreme Court decision in Americans for Prosperity Foundation v. Bonta. And in that decision, well, and what that, what had happened in that case was that several years ago when Kamala Harris was attorney general in California, she decided to start demanding that nonprofit organizations in the state would need to submit their Schedule B forms in order to be able to do business in the state. And it wasn't- What's in a Schedule B form? So that is a form that nonprofits, um, certain nonprofits have to file that lists who some of their top donors are. And so it um, was not a requirement that was- um, mandated by state law. It was a th- an idea that she came up with on her own and decided would be good for, in her mind, you know, being able to better root out nonprofit corruption or, you know, anyway, to enforce mm-hmm. nonprofit law. And so Americans for Prosperity Foundation took it to the courts, worked its way up to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court ruled is that um, there, organi- that state agencies like that can't just go out and randomly um, demand lists on a widespread basis. There has to be a very narrow reason for it. And so what our bill does is puts that into state law and ensures that's the law of the land, even though we believe this is covered by the First Amendment and the Supreme Court has had pro-privacy rulings on multiple occasions over the years, but clearly that's not enough. And so what this bill does is that it um, says state agencies cannot just go out and demand donor lists outside of existing campaign finance laws. If a state agency has a donor list in its possession, it cannot release that to the public in any sort of way. And if donor information does get released to the public, there are fines and penalties associated with that. So um, when we sit down and talk to legislators about this issue and just explain why you know, if they want to debate these things in the context of campaign finance in their state and what that means, then have that debate. But don't allow state agencies to go out on our, you know, just go rogue and to go out and demand whatever they want to demand to be able to do whatever they want to do. And people can kind of get behind that behind that idea. I mean, it's pretty easy for either a Democrat or a Republican legislator to understand how that could be used against them in a cause they care about in their state. And so, Um, It's just it's more about if you want to debate these issues and want to discuss what sort of disclosure might be necessary in your state, then have that debate and 
set those laws, but don't allow state agencies to just decide to do whatever they want to do. All right. Legislators get a lot of requests. And part of the secret sauce of policymaking is figuring out how to make your priority their priority. Uh, And they can easily just brush you off because, again, they get a lot of requests. So what do you do to get all these lawmakers? Again, he said 12 states and two other uh, other are, are close. What did you do to get them to care about this issue when they could have easily not? That's a great question. Um, and it's, you know, there are some states where we've gotten this bill done in one year and it was quick and relatively easy as legislative processes go. And then there are other states where it's taken multiple years. Missouri is an example of that. Um, as of, you know, three or four years ago, there were multiple bills being introduced every session, including by Republican legislators, both Republican and Democrat legislators who were proposing donor disclosure ideas. And it was just the wild west in terms of what people were throwing out there. So these are issues that were already on the radar. Legislators are already thinking about it. It, Like I mentioned before, it kind of comes up after every election cycle. So it's not like this is an issue that comes out of left field. It's something that's kind of already on people's minds, whether or not they're thinking about it correctly. Um, We spent two years just meeting one-on-one with legislators um, and engaging in a prolonged educational effort to explain to them why how this works, why the ideas that the disclosure bills that were being introduced are just bad and how that's going to harm the causes that those legislators care about. And it then slowly starting to introduce the concept of the Personal Privacy Protection Act and how that is what, how they should be focused on this issue, as opposed to just going out and targeting groups they don't like. And so, like I said, it took two years of having those conversations before we ever introduced a bill. And by that point, we had kind of made the case, people got it, you know, the path was paved, although it still has taken us another two years to get to the point where we are, where it's just now heading to the governor's desk. But um, it's not always an easy issue. (laughs) It takes longer in some states than others. But like I said, this is something that... um, it's on legislators' minds because it kind of directly impacts them every time they have, they're have they up for re-election. I mean, it's something they're thinking about when, like I said, the, a mailer goes out in their district that um, targets them and it's, by, it's from the name of a group that they just aren't familiar with. And so it's, um, it's a personal issue for a lot of legislators more than it's a principled issue. Um, and it's just something that kind of impacts them all in a way that maybe other issues don't. So that makes it a little easier to approach them for that reason. What's going on in Missouri? We're close. I mean, it's funny that, you know, we it's we consider it to be one of our best examples of a state where we've kind of gone from it being a very difficult environment <laughs> to a very positive environment on this issue. And it is really just the one-on-one work, work that's been done, one-on-one outreach, um, individual private meetings. It's... We've also held several events. We have a coalition that we work with at the national level um, that comes and helps us speak at these events and reach out to legislators with whom they have relationships with. We also build coalitions in each state, which we've done in Missouri as well, to build support for donor privacy. And so it's um, it the bill there has actually moved through the legislature pretty quickly over the last two years and has not had a lot of opposition. It's just gotten swept up in all the other crazy things that are happening in the state of Missouri that have absolutely nothing to do with our issue. So um, we're on the 
governor's desk now in a bill that includes a lot of different things as often happens in Missouri. So hopefully um, it includes a couple of things the governor cares about and we'll get across the finish line, but we'll see what happens. The, the political environment there is just very weird for Republicans at the moment, like it is in a lot of states, but um, there's just a lot of infighting that's kind of tripped things up that weren't because of, it wasn't because of our issue. It was because of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why the 14, uh, why are there 14 states and not 50 states? Because it's a process. <laughs> so um, we, you know, as much as we approach this from in a bipartisan way, it has definitely taken some time to build those bipartisan coalitions. Um, so we started in Republican controlled states where, Maybe they were a little more sympathetic to this. It wasn't as hard of a sell and we were going to get across the finish line faster. We are now um, moving more into states where government is split or Democrat control. And it's just required a slow process of finding allies, finding other nonprofit groups who agree with us on these issues. The ACLU has been a really key ally for us on this issue from day one, and they are consistent supporters of donor privacy. The Supreme Court case kind of brought a lot of other groups out of the woodwork as well, who submitted amicus briefs, and it was a widespread bipartisan coalition that submitted those briefs um, and helped us to kind of identify other groups at the national and state levels who are interested in this as well. But as we're moving into states where Democrat buy-in is just going to be critical for getting it over the finish line. It just takes a little bit more time to build those coalitions and to have those conversations and to build the trust, to be able to have the dialogue about this issue when, you know, it's just a really difficult political environment right now and a very divisive political environment and reaching across the aisle is not um, a natural instinct for a lot of legislators these days, unfortunately, but this is an issue where they can do that. Mm-hmm. Um so uh I'm I'm just trying to think while these uh while these law or while this legislature is being considered by the legislation you can say sometimes it takes years what a, what opposition do you attract and what what are the tactics they use to fight this bill You know it's our biggest opponents in most states are the media. <laughs> it's, I mean, there are some legislators who have been pushing disclosure bills for years and who just firmly believe we need more dis- donor disclosure and they just fall into that camp. And frankly, they're lost causes in most situations and those aren't the minds we're trying to change. Our biggest challenge is the media, which is, um, you know, they're very, it's a self-interested thing. I mean, they would benefit from having more access to donor lists it would allow them to write stories that are maybe more difficult to write right now at the moment. Um, you know, it's the media that's kind of perpetuated the dark money narrative. Like it's, even though there's no legal definition of dark money and it means a different thing, depending on who you're talking to, it's a term that has kind of an emotional attachment and it's something that the media knows will get clicks and that it's, you know, it's an exciting topic in their minds to write about. And so of course they are very interested in having more information because that's report what reporters want and do. So whenever we go into a state, that's always our biggest challenge is if there's a reporter or an outlet in the state that is fixated on these kind of issues, if the second our bill hits the floor, they're not necessarily interested in having a reasonable conversation about what the bill does or does not do in their minds. This is just a dark money protection bill, even though that's 
not what it does at all because it's doesn't touch existing campaign finance laws. So that's whether it's the legislator or media legislators or media or others where our our biggest challenge with these bills is not that people often have their minds made up about what they do and don't want when we enter a state to talk about this bill, it's just really a lack of understanding of how these laws work, how the first amendment works, um, how anonymous speech works. Um, and it's just requires, a, like I said, a lot of coalition building and a lot of education and one-on-one outreach to walk people through that. Unfortunately, we're never going to have media on our side who are already invested in the dark money concept. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And when you say media, it sounds like you're talking about like local newspaper reporters. So it's not that the MSNBC comes no. and fights every every one of these state bills. It's local. Why aren't they more interested in here? Or why is your message not resonating with them? Well, I think most reporters who cover these issues have some bias and they've already made up their minds about what this issue means and what's right and wrong and um, what sort of information should be available for them to do what they consider to be their job. So um, like I live here in Idaho, for example, which is a conservative state, but the largest newspaper in the state is a very left-leaning newspaper. And there are two or three reporters who are just kind of fixated on this concept. And um, this is what they want to write about. So it's, um, and they consider themselves to be the voice of opposition, I think, in the state. So it's hard to approach someone who has that sort of mentality and who's not thinking about it in terms of the constitution and what's best for America. And they're thinking about it from a self-interested perspective. Mm-hmm. Now the Overton window on this issue seems to be pretty wide open as in like, it's clearly within the window to mandate further donor disclosures, uh, it seems to be politically acceptable to push back on um, on that. Where do you think this issue is going to head in the future? And how optimistic are you that you're going to win? I think it's a long-term slow fight for us. We are never going to convince every American that donor disclosure is a bad idea. Um, we're never going to convince politicians that they shouldn't be upset about what happened during the last election cycle. And they are going to uh, continue to want to retaliate for their what their enemies have done to them. Um, those are difficult things to change. But this is why we feel like our model bill is important. And this is just a first step. I mean, there are other ways in which we feel like we could work to protect people's Uh, privacy in the future. But for now, we're focused on this model bill. And um, we're just working it state by state. I mean, having lots of individual conversations and bringing people bringing unlikely allies together. And the fact that we get this done in a bipartisan way is what gives me hope. And it's honestly what I like most about working on this issue. It is so refreshing to just sit down and talk to someone who might be on the opposite side of the aisle from me about an issue where we can find common ground, even if we disagree on everything else. And so um, when we go into a state, I think legislators like that, I, you know, it's just a refreshing change from the stuff they're fighting about on a day-to-day basis. And it's why we're having some success. But um, even if we get our model bill signed into law in all 50 states, it's not going to stop the pro-disclosure crowd from trying to get what they want. They're very motivated to know who their opponents are and to be able to shut down debate, dis- shut down debate they disagree with. And that's a that's an eternal fight. It's never going to be over. 
Heather, good luck in your attempts to shift the Overton window. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinaw.org. That's Mackinaw with a C, like the island.